4 to 6 p.m. and Forms and Feelings from 2 to 4 p.m. here on KPFA 94.1 FM. Thank you for your consideration. Ending nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness From the ones Who Walk in light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadow Out of This is Jennifer Stone With Stone's Throw and today is Tuesday, 13 January, and today it's all about, it's all about love, I think, yes, I think that's the choice. I won't be on the air next Tuesday, so I think today I'll just do what I like. Next Tuesday, uh, we will be addressing uh, serious problems about uh, democracy here at KPFA. I'll give up my half hour and let them... Um, uh, Put forward their thoughts on democracy here. Uh, I think today I'm jumping right in to Toni Morrison's new book, Love. And I think I need to preface it a little bit, yes. I was thinking last night how that four-letter word has traumatized us, most of us, for most of our lives. Um, here is Robert Graves uh, called Symptoms of Love, a poem that I found in this Wonderful penguin book of love poetry that I found in a, a rag and bone shop in Texas, would you believe, for 99 cents. Most of my favorite love poems are right here. Robert Graves, Symptoms of Love. Love is a universal migraine. A bright stain on the vision, blotting out reason. Symptoms of true love are leanness. Jealousy, laggard dawns, are omens and nightmares, listening for a knock, waiting for a sign, for a touch of her fingers in a darkened room, for a searching look. Take courage, lover, can you endure such grief at any hand? but hers. Just one more before we go to Toni Morrison's prose, which is really prose poetry. This is Christina Rossetti, uh, a little poem called Mirage. I have always had a, a warm spot for Christina Rossetti. We were born on the same day of the year, and um, um, she fell into religion, yes. Romanticism with her turned into uh, 
Ah, the love of God, where else can it go? This is called mirage. The hope I dreamed of was a dream, was but a dream, and now I wake, exceeding comfortless, and worn, and old, for a dream's sake. I hang my harp upon a tree, a weeping willow in a lake. I hang my silenced harp there, wrung and snapped, for a dream's sake. Lie still, lie still, my breaking heart, my silent heart. Lie still and break. Life. And the world, and mine own self, are changed for a dream's sake. Oh, the nineteenth century! I wonder if they really had more fun in the nineteenth century. <laughs> Over the holidays, I used Toni Morrison's book *Love* to keep my mind busy. I. Oh, I just had a hard time looking at the world around me. This novel is, um, oh, I would call it—it's already vintage, Toni Morrison, and the title, of course, is deeply ironic. A book called *Love*, written by Toni Morrison, has to, of course, be about all—all all of the pain and the hate and the harm. And the confusion caused by love.、Um, the novel centers around the character, Mr. Cozy. He's dead, but the damage he did lives on. His、um, wives, his daughter, daughter-in-law,、uh, a young woman who、um, never even met him, and even one of the narrative voices, L,、um, a cook in his、uh, fancy hotel.、Um, Is obsessed with this guy.、Uh, oh, anyway, the way in which their love has shaped their lives,、uh, as Christina Rossetti says, yes, when a dream lies dead or dying,、uh, it can still dominate your life. Interesting.、Um, there's another woman in this story called Celestial that. I wish had been developed more. She seems to be the woman that he really loved,、uh, called a sporting woman by Toni Morrison. But、um, it's a little tricky when she holds out this、um, image of Celestial, this this what is it?、Uh, this woman in a dream,、uh, the kind of woman that men are always、uh, talking about, and of course once they. Get to know them. You know how that goes.、Uh, things change. We are all of us quick to be disillusioned, but、uh, in my experience, men are better at it. Anyway,、uh, let me just read to you a little bit of Elle's reflections. She's dead and long gone, but she's still observing the scene. Ah,、uh, uh, mood indigo, right? <laughs> She says, "My hum." Is mostly below range. She doesn't claim the kind of power that Celestial has. She says my hum is private, suitable for an old woman embarrassed by the world. Her way of objecting to how the century is turning out. Maybe 
It was always so that nothing was understood, but it didn't strike me until some thirty years ago that prostitutes looked up to for their honesty have always set the style. Maybe it wasn't their honesty, maybe it was their success. Still, straddling a chair or dancing half-naked on TV, these 90s women are not all that different from the respectable women who live around here. This is coast country, humid and God-fearing, where female recklessness runs too deep for short shorts or thongs or cameras. But then or now, decent underwear or none, wild women never could hide their innocence. A kind of pity, kitty, hopefulness that their prince was on his way. Especially the tough ones with their box cutters and dirty language. Or the glossy ones with two-seated cars and a pocketbook full of dope. Even the ones who wear scars like presidential medals and stockings rolled at their ankles, they can't hide the sugar child, the winsome baby girl curled up somewhere inside between the ribs, say, or under the heart. Naturally, all of them have a sad story. Too much notice, not enough, or the worst kind. Some tale about dragon daddies and false-hearted men or mean mamas and friends who did them wrong. Each story has a monster in it who made them tough instead of brave. So they open their legs rather than their hearts where that folded child is tucked. Sometimes the cut is so deep, no woe-is-me tale is enough. Then the only thing that does the trick that explains the craziness heaping up, holding down, and making women hate one another and ruin their children, is an outside evil. People in Up Beach, where I'm from, used to tell about some creatures called police heads, dirty things with big hats, who shoot up out of the ocean to harm loose women, and eat disobedient children. My mother knew them when she was a girl, when people dreamed wide awake. They disappeared for a while, but came back with new and bigger hats, starting in the forties, when a couple of see there, what I tell you things happened at the shore. <laughs> she goes on to tell about the pernicious evils that haunt our lives. Uh, this is my favorite character. The sections of the book in italics are uh, the thoughts and reminiscences of Elle. She's a kind of narrator, but mostly she fills in, gives you all the colors, and uh, uh, reflects on the characters. She, uh, This section, she's talking about a young woman, contemporary woman, who... Uh, arrives on the scene and immediately snatches up the most uh, sexually attractive man in the group, young man, a boy. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, she circled her gift. Uh, <laughs> anyway, 
Yes. Now L is going to talk about uh, this girl named Junior. Young people, Lord, do they still call it infatuation? That magic axe that chops away the world in one blow, leaving only the couple standing there trembling. Whatever they call it, it leaps over anything, takes the biggest chair, the largest slice, rules the ground wherever it walks, from a mansion to a swamp. Its selfishness is its beauty. Before I was reduced to sing-song, I saw all kinds, all kinds of mating. Most are two nightstands trying to last a season. Some, the riptide ones, claim exclusive right to the real name, even though everybody drowns in its wake. People with no imagination feed it with sex, the clown of love. They don't know the real kinds, the better kinds, where losses are cut and everybody benefits. It takes a certain intelligence to love like that, softly, without props. But the world is such a showpiece, maybe that's why folks try to outdo it. Put everything they feel on stage just to prove they can think up things too. Handsome, scary things like fights to the death, adultery, setting sheets afire. They fail, of course. The world outdoes them every time. While they are busy showing off, digging other people's graves, hanging themselves on a cross, running wild in the streets. Cherries are quietly turning from green to red. Oysters are suffering pearls. Children are catching rain in their mouths, expecting the drops to be cold, but they're not. They're warm, smell like pineapple, before they get heavier and heavier, so heavy and fast. They can't be caught one at a time. Poor swimmers head for shore, while strong ones wait for lightning silver veins. Bottle green clouds sweep in, pushing the rain inland where palm trees pretend to be shocked by the wind. Women scatter, shielding their hair, men bend low, holding the women's shoulders against their chests. I run too, finally. I say finally because I do like a good storm. I would be one of those people on the weather channel leaning into the wind while the lawmen shout in the megaphones, Get moving! <laughs> Maybe that's because I was born in rough weather. A morning fisherman and wild parrots knew right away there was bad news. My mother was limp as a rag waiting for this overdue baby, said she suddenly perked up, decided to hang laundry. Only later did she realize she was drunk with the pure oxygen that swept in before the storm. Halfway through, she saw the day turn black. I began to thrash. She called for my father. The two of them delivered me in a downpour. You could say, going from womb water straight into rain marked me. It's noteworthy, I suppose that the first time I saw Mr. Cozy, he was standing in the sea, 
holding Julia, his wife, in his arms. I was five. He was twenty-four, and I'd never seen anything like that. Her eyes were closed, head bobbing. Her light blue swimming dress ballooned or flattened out, depending on the waves and his strength. She lifted an arm, touched his shoulder. He turned her to his chest and carried her ashore. I believed then it was the sunlight that brought those tears to my eyes, not the sight of all that tenderness coming out of the sea. Nine years later, when I heard he was looking for house help, I ran all the way to his door. I'm going to skip to another section of Toni Morrison's love and read you a little bit、um, about Celestial, the woman that Mister Cozy. Really loved, or at least、um, sought after.、Uh, she begins. L begins by talking about the new girl on the scene, this junior girl. She says something about her, puts me in mind of a local woman I know, name of Celestial, when she was young. That is, though I doubt if Junior or any of these modern tramps could match her style. Mr. Cozy knew her too, although if you asked him, he'd deny it. Not to me, though. Mr. Cozy never lied to me. No point in it. I knew his first wife better than he did. I knew he adored her, and I knew what she began to think of him after she found out where his money came from. Contrary to the tale he put in the street, the father he bragged about has had earned his way. As a courthouse informer, the one police could count on to know where a certain colored boy was hiding, who sold liquor, who had an eye on what property, what was said at church meetings, who was agitating to vote, collecting money for a school—all sorts of things Dixie Law was interested in. Well paid, tipped off. Favored for fifty-five years, Daniel Robert Cozy kept his evil gray eye on everybody. For the pure power of it, people supposed because he had no joy and the money he got for being at the beck and call of white folks in general and police in particular didn't bring comfort to him or his family. Whites called him Danny Boy. But to Negroes, his initials D.R.C. gave rise to the name he was known by, Dark. He worshipped paper money and coin, withheld decent shoes from his son and passable dresses from his wife and daughters, until he died, leaving one hundred and fourteen thousand resentful dollars behind. The son decided to enjoy his share. Not throw it away exactly, but use it on the things dark cursed: good times, good clothes, good food, good music, dancing till the sun came up, in a hotel made for it all. The father was dreaded; the son was a ray of light. The cops paid off the father; the son paid off the cops. What the father corrected, the son celebrated. The father a miser. The sun, an easy touch.
Spendthrift didn't cut ice with Julia. That's the first wife. Her family were farmers, always being done out of acres by white landowners and spiteful Negroes. She froze when she learned how blood-soaked her husband's money was. She didn't have to feel ashamed too long. She gave birth, waited a dozen years to see if history skipped a generation or blossomed in her son. I don't know if she was satisfied or just lost interest because her last whisper was, Is that my daddy? I want to read you some more of Elle. This is such a wonderful character. Uh, it's one of my favorite dreams, you know, that after death we can wander the earth and see what's happened to everyone we loved. Uh, and, you know, be a familiar spirit, hang out and see. Uh, this is Elle still talking about uh, time past. She says, mosquitoes don't like my blood. Once I was young enough to take offense at that, not understanding that rejection could be a blessing. So you can see why I liked walking the shore route home, however muggy the weather. The sky is empty now, erased. But back then, the Milky Way was common as dirt. Its light made everything a glamorous black-and-white movie. No matter what your place in life or your state of mind, having a star-packed sky be part of your night made you feel rich. And then there was the sea. Fishermen say there is life down there that looks like wedding veils and ropes of gold with ruby eyes. They say some sea life makes you think of the collars of school teachers or parasols made of flowers. That's what I was thinking one hot night. Off and on, whenever I felt like it, I stayed in my mother's house in Up Beach. I was on my way there that hot night, tired as a dog when I saw Mr. Cozy with his shoes in his hand, walking north, back towards the hotel, I was up at the grass line, hoping to catch a breeze strong enough to get the smoke and sugar smell out of my uniform. He was further down, sloshing through the waves. I raised my hand, started to call out to him, but something, the way he held his head, maybe, or a kind of privacy wrapped about him stopped me. I wanted to warn him, but weary and still out of sorts, I kept on walking down a piece I saw somebody else. A woman sitting on a blanket, massaging her head with both hands. I stood there while she got up naked as truth and went into the waves. The tide was out so she had to walk a long time for the water to reach her waist. Tall, raggedy clouds drifted across the moon. I remember how my heart kicked. Police heads, 
They were on the move then. They had already drowned the Johnson boys, almost killed the cannery girl. Who knew what else they had in mind? But this woman kept on wading out into black water. I could tell she wasn't afraid of them or of anything, because she stretched, raised her arms, and dove. I remember that ark better than I remember yesterday. She was out of sight for a time. I held my breath as long as she did. Finally, she surfaced. I breathed again, watching her swim back to shallow water. She stood up and massaged her head once more. Her hair, flat when she went in, rose up slowly and took on the shape of the clouds dragging the moon. Then she well made a sound. I don't know to this day whether it was a word. A tune, or a scream. All I know is that it was a sound I wanted to answer. Even though, normally, I'm stone quiet. Celestial, I don't deny her unstoppable good looks. They did arrest the mind, and while how she made her living saddened me. She did it in such a quiet, reserved way. You would have thought she was a Red Cross nurse. She came from a whole family of sporting women, although unlike them, she had not understood the fatal attraction of gold teeth. Hers were white as snow. When Mister Cozy changed, well, limited her caseload, neither could break the spell, and the grave. Didn't change a thing. I can watch my man from the porch. In the evening, mostly, but sunrise too, when I need to see his shoulders, colored with sea foam. There used to be white wicker chairs out here, where pretty women drank iced tea, with a drop of Jack Daniels or Cutty Sark in it. Nothing left now, so I sit on the steps or lean my elbows on the railings. If I'm real still and listening carefully, I can hear his voice. You'd think with all that strength he'd be a bass, but no. My man is a tenor. That's Tony Morrison's love, and it's. The most fascinating description I've ever read of this notion that the sea can be a lover. I remember trying to put that into several plays that I wrote, and it's, it's a, a difficult trick. She does manage it, I think, in this book.、Um, now, I had brought in today nine other articles to call to your attention, and the funny thing is, of course. I've run out of time. Ah,、uh, <laughs> this is always the way. Let me call your attention to one, just one item that I want to talk about. Oh, probably it'll be two weeks before I can do it.、Uh, it's an article called "The Character Myth," and you can find it in the Nation magazine for December the twenty-ninth. And I like it because it has a new.、Uh, 
phrase or term. Um, linguists, the author writes, call this device the lost performative. I want you to look up lost performative. What that's all about is um, the way in which um, the Bush boys talk. You know, when President Bush says our cause is just, he purposely leaves out the according to whom. <laughs> Next week, yes, uh, two weeks. Uh, politics and the English language. We've got to get back to deconstructing what these guys are talking about. This has been Jennifer Stone. I will be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy... Go as easy as you can. Out of La Peña presents a special night of Venezuelan jazz featuring the Snake Trio and special guests, including two master Venezuelan musicians, Marco Granado on flute and Aquiles Baez on guitar. This benefit concert of Venezuelan jazz takes place on Friday, January 30th at La Peña, 3105 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley. For more information, please visit La Peña's website at www.lapena.org or call 510-849-2568. Ready for this? Ladies and gentlemen. 94.1 KPA. What you see here is history. It's history.